welcome back to another episode of Set the Table. It is Thursday, November 5th. I am John, and with me as always is Jack. How's it going, eh? Were you trying to be a little slow there, or are you roboting again? No. You paused. You had this big, long pause. Well, I was waiting for you. Uh, anyway, um... Today is a, a special episode, being our second guest episode, and so today we welcome uh, one of my oldest friends and player of the bard, Connie, in my main group, who I've talked about a couple times, Mr. James Kiernan. Hey, how's it going, everyone? This is James. Uh, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Aboard. So, um... Normally, we would do some recapping, uh, but we have a short schedule tonight, and so we're going to get right into the bulk of the show, which is why we brought James on to talk about bards. So, um... And you you don't like, do you, I don't dislike them, uh, but, but it's I... Not, it's not your preferred class to play. No. Uh, no, I think Bard is probably at the bottom of my list, actually, for classes to play. So um, it's going to be... Not a man of culture. <laughs> no, I guess not. Like uh... below is an illusionist, gunslinger, and alchemist, like way, way down there. Well, you're throwing in Pathfinder classes here, so I don't know that that's tremendously... Oh, I apologize. Let me go get my... Five. <laughs> um, no, no, I mean, it's it's not that you bad. You would play bard before sorcerer. Um. Or monk. Nope. Nope. I actually I made a a one T sorcerer for an alt game. So. Yeah. <laughs> Barbarian. Uh, definitely more than bard, probably. Artificer. Huh. Probably, yeah, yeah. It's maybe, maybe not. So, so where does where does this bard? I don't want to say bard hate, but where where does the dislike come from? So I am not. I'm a, an introverted person with no desire to be any less introverted. So the idea of role playing as a character that wants to talk to everyone, or at least whose primary skills are based in the art of speechcraft, does not appeal to me but that's not why we're here we're not here to talk about why they're bad we're here to talk about your two examples of bards being that and when we introduced this uh on the last show we mentioned that both of you were playing very atypical bards not the run around and hey can i seduce the dragon kind of bard so um would you like to introduce the characters that you are playing or have played? Sure. I, I I mean the listeners have been been listening about Delrea's uh foibles and triumphs for the for the past few shows. Uh so my bard is a Delrea gem She's a Smurf Neblin, uh which my my DM kind of basically we took the rock archetype. We started we started out at level ones so the the blur ability racial ability for his was a little too 
uh, OP. So so in order to get this Nerf Neblin archetype, I said, yeah, just make her a rock. Uh, nice. I'll just that's fair. Make everybody else in my group pronounce Nerf Neblin. Uh, <laughs> she's neutral evil. Uh, she's actually a an, a uh, henchman, a hireling for another character from a different adventure. So, same Monday night group I played chaotic Quandor, evil, right? Drow Cavalier, Quandor, uh, Sisprina Zavir of House Zavir, late of Chednazad, um, which of course the listeners also. I'm uh, yes, you talked Drow a lot. Cannon. So, uh, but he his his accountant basically was uh, a Smurf Neblin slave uh, named Dalrea, and so my first character adventure. A tabaxi steps on, uh, and he got killed. Oh, in a, steps in a on tails. Box. Yeah, steps on tails. He had seven intelligence and a sixteen wisdom, so he was very, very wise, but not. And he he got goaded into a fight, and so I needed another character really quickly, uh, and so I I picked up Dalrea. He was uh, a fan. Uh, the I, I, my DM lets me play my hireling, have them, um, and everyone kind of liked her, but she she was an accountant, um, and didn't really have a class. So I was trying to figure out um, where to put her. You know, rogue would have been a thing to play, but I just played a rogue, um, and I hadn't played a bard since. You guys are gonna laugh, um, but the last time I played a bard. Uh, it was 1985. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So did you have to? Did you have to play the Dungeons and Dragons on stone tablets? Is is that how you played it back then? No, we we the what we had to do is we had to get together we books. <laughs> and use pencils and paper instead of Fantasy Ground Discord and twenty. Nice. <laughs> So we've got uh, Dorea, a neutral evil yeah. bard who, and and she was a college. So so what really fit with her was with her background serving a drow household and being neutral evil. Uh, I went with College of Whispers from Xanthar's uh, Guide to Everything, which is kind of the uh, vigilante or the spy bard. Nice. I felt that was was fairly sinister um and and she also had she had fear one of her favorite spells you know hold person fear um and some of those abilities college of whisper um i won't lie i i think i think the the, the level five it's the level seven ability uh it's pretty op the the level three ability uh with being able to terrify uh, just by talking to them was was hilarious, and the level seven ability where if someone if a humanoid character dies, uh, you can assume their form and surface memories for up an hour. Wow. Mm-hmm. So she she was she was definitely of that spy archetype, and then 
her performance, uh, I modeled her after kind of a lounge singer, uh, think Eartha Kitt from from the 1930s, 1940s. So you know, she had the swanky dresses, drinking martinis. So Connie is an interesting character. Uh, started out as a neutral good uh, member of a place in John's campaign of Ados that really good people get worn down there pretty quickly. It's hard to really keep a good heart when you're dealing in the city of Prosperous that John has created because of all of the intrigue and all of the sort of social and political issues that exist there. So Connie's pretty young. He didn't really become jaded or lose the spark of who he wanted to sort of be to emulate a um, sort of a better version of himself. His family is really his only real experience and things that were dangerous before he left to become an adventurer. His parents are part of a secret trading company in Prosperous that deals in sort of the underground dealings, the less savory things that the Emperor of Prosperous doesn't necessarily want his name attached to, but everybody who knows anything about the underground world knows that the the <laughs> ochre tra- <laughs> that the ochre trading company is the arm of the emperor in in the underworld so his family was not necessarily just about acquiring slaves or very important people to bring them into the emperor's service uh, willingly or not connie's family helped those people um come to understand that they're they're working for the emperor now i think that's probably the clearest way i can say it without giving away all the lore of john's world and when connie started to realize that he was in basically sort of like the secret police in some ways of ados he took a lot of issue with that and he left his family now the city of prosperous is very large so it it basically the empire of prosperous covers a whole gulf yeah it's a large Uh, bay area and it's it's a and the prosperous the city itself or or maybe the kingdom itself is ruled by an emperor who has some degree of authority over the other cities within that bay so connie spent some of his time traveling around those cities getting to know people and sort of trying to understand other aspects of life besides somebody who has really been in a position of you know a lot of privilege i would certainly say yeah you're a a college of lore bard i am a college of lore bard uh Connie's a classically trained bard, while while Jack's bard was someone who 
had a natural gift for performance, but did a lot of the more barred training on the job, Connie has formal training as a as a bard. He is he's someone who has attended a college. Uh, bards use a subclass um, that's a little bit different than a lot of the other subclasses. When you talk about a college, when I was creating Connie, I interpreted that as you have had to receive some form of formal training. Like literally a college. Like literally a college, exactly. (laughs) So Connie attended Bardock College sort of on the word of who his family was, and he was brought in, uh, trained there, was not a particularly great student. That's sort of expressly stated in his intelligence score of 10. Which is repeatedly reinforced through you failing your history checks to remember things from school. (laughs) So John is very courteous and he says, yeah, this probably would have been a class you were a part of. So I'll I'll let you roll and the DC may be a little bit lower. And then I roll a five and then John goes, yeah, there's there's no way. And I'm like, yeah, Connie probably slept through this class. But we're Connie classes. Yeah, Connie Connie was a Connie was not always maybe wasn't even in attendance in a lot of the classes he was supposed to be in. Uh, but where Connie excels is his ability to make friends and influence people. That's mm-hmm. where he is more effective. When I was reading the description of a lore bard, you know, the College of Lore in 5e talks about people who become college of lore bards as people who are they have knowledge of scholarly things you know they might tell folk ballad in a tavern or they might tell grand epics in a royal court and these sort of things really appealed to me more than you know sort of just being a wandering minstrel Connie was sort of a bard for hire for a period of time who would do sort of these, I mean, probably the technical term is spying, but sort of like court intrigue. He would be a part of it and he would know some things about people. And he was seen as somebody that even if he had dirt on you, it wasn't necessarily that he would just spill the beans. He was somebody who would be okay with still working with you and keeping your secrets safe because he probably had dirt on your enemies too. Nice. And, so we've uh, got oh, sorry. So we've got neutral evil Dolrea and neutral good Connie. Um pretty different builds, pretty different backgrounds. What drew you guys to Bard in the first place? Cuz I mentioned why I didn't love them necessarily but why do you like them so so for dalrea i i think it when when i was looking for i already had her as a hireling and she had a story and there was there was history behind it so i was trying to find something some way to fit her into a class right so i had a a classless hireling that I was trying to fit into a class. And when I read this in Xanthar's, um, this is in the College of Whispers description on page 16, uh, these bards use their knowledge and magic to uncover secrets and turn them 
against others through extortion and threats. Um, I was like, oh, this is perfect. Th this <laughs> is this is what someone who grew up as a an employee in a drow household working for a matron mother would do. This mm -hmm. this is this is organic. Just kind of hit me um, that that this would be a good fit for her and. The rest of the group had uh, a paladin, a gunslinger, a warlock, and um, we needed for for kind of group consistency. We needed a support class, and um, I have I've already played a cleric with this group. I didn't want to. I, I wanted to kind of save dwarf lawful good dwarf cleric for later, um, and I and I was having so much fun playing evil characters at the time. I just wanted to keep going with that. So, um, bar, my choice for Bard was more party composition to get a support class, uh, character into the group and then to get one that would kind of fit my idea of this character's background and, and basically, giving her the, the right class she could have easily been a, a rogue but that just didn't have the right mixture of um intellect and social graces you know because because you, you just don't get that as a rogue mm -hmm. naturally i i would say the college of whispers is the personality that a lot of people wish that they could have for their rogue and uh, in role-play encounters. The the College of Whispers, I, I have not played it, but from my reading about it and sort of my understanding of a bard, is very much the rogue bard. They are, they are the person who knows the secrets and they know, you know, they might be a blackmailer, a spy, or just somebody who just knows the right information and can sort of give you the uh, the hookup if you need it. You know, I think of uh, I think of like, sounds silly, but I think of like Red from Shawshank Redemption as somebody who might be a College of Whispers bard. You know, they know who to talk to to get what you know other people want. Nice. What about you, James? What drew you to play a bard in my vast world? So. You told me about the city of Prosperous, and I thought that was incredibly interesting. And I wanted a character who was like at the heart of the the turmoil of Prosperous. And when I th thought of who would fit the best, I thought of maybe somebody who's part of one of these kingdoms who has sort of taken offense to what has been going on. And I feel that a bard is somebody who maybe not, well, certainly not as extensively as the College of Whispers. All bards are people who know people. If there are important people in a city that the bard is familiar with, the bard probably knows something about that person or knows a song that the person likes to hear or knows how to talk to people to get closer to somebody that the party might be after. College of Lore, mostly, if I'm going to have to be honest, I was driven to the College of Lore because they are the, the keeper. Oh, besides Fireball, <laughs> though, 
though fireball has served me well in some situations uh the college of war is the subclass that has the most drastic levels of flexibility uh in my opinion and if you select your magical secrets so for those of you listening who are either unfamiliar with the bard uh, all bards get an ability at level uh, five i believe uh no at level 10 called magical secrets where you may select two spells from any other caster's spell list so immediately you have a huge bonus in getting spells that a bard would typically not have and a lore bard gets the feature of additional magical secrets so you can through sort of your understanding of the arcane maybe some knowledge of the divine you can pick up spells very quickly that are only accessible to other classes so from a sort of a strength portion of like wanting to make a strong character a lore bard is going to allow you to pick the strongest spells that you can cast from other casters lists on top of already a very dangerous core group of spells that the bard has access to yeah bard spells are nothing to to sneeze at that's absolutely for certain uh for for battlefield controllers I really think maybe the druid beats them out, but it's just by like a hair's breadth, and you need to spec your druid into being a battlefield controller. Uh, a bard is going to generally get either single target or multi-target spells that prevent other, uh, not prevent other characters, prevent NPCs from doing what they want to do on their turn. You know, yep. stuff like hypnotic pattern, or um, Eye Bite, that's a higher yeah. level spell. Yep, but... you got Counter Charms in there. I mean, my, my go-to is Hideous Laughter. I, I oh, find yep. the biggest, baddest, um, w whatever big bad there is in, in the pile of, of combatants, <laughs> and pile of I just keep them on the floor with Hideous Laughter. Oh no. Discord had a little crash. And we're back. Picks the turtle up, and then we gallop back to the Helmed Horrors. She tosses the turtle at the Helmed Horrors and drops the polymorph. What was and the now polymorph the Helmed into? Horror is engulfed in an acidic gray ooze that's just eating through its armor. It stops fighting us entirely. Nice. <laughs> Doesn't want to play with you guys anymore. It's got a bigger thing to deal it's with. It's got a bigger thing to worry about, and <laughs> and just. Things things like that crowd control for a bard, um, and then throwing inspiration that that was that I mean that's the that was the the thing I had to teach myself to do again, um, is like hey we're in combat it's the first round it's like hey there's the warlock who's really good with with chaos bolt or yeah with uh, um, chaos bolts inspire done the paladin who loves moonbeam you're inspired go. Um, and just throwing that inspiration out right away, like candy. Um, 
was was huge. The 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 bard will make the strongest damage dealer in your party that much more lethal for an inspire, and it can help the weakest person in your party. This is more specific to a lore bard with cutting words. Cutting words can basically turn an attack into um, a miss, a, a serious miss. And, you know, if a, if a creature rolls a 19, not quite, quite a crit, and then all of a sudden you go like, oh, subtract D8 from that roll, and you roll a 6, you're like, okay, now that's a 13 plus whatever the creature's bonus is. If that's against one of the frontline fighters in your group, that could be a serious attack that now just misses. You you have a situation where you as the bard get a say in combat using your reaction to either use cutting words or use your bonus action to inspire to ensure a hit makes it. You can do both. Well, if you're if you're a lore bard, you can do both, but mm -hmm. you, you can't do both as all all of the subclasses, I believe. Right. No, sorry, I meant in a turn. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. And that's why I love bards is because on my turn, I can be like, okay, am I going to hit these this group of enemies with a fireball, or am I going to, you know, take the dash, or or move up to a, a creature that's getting rushed one of my one of my party members and then dimension door them to an area where they're safe you know i can use hypnotic pattern and put a majority of the creatures on the battlefield in a position where they can no longer fight they're charmed and they cannot move and to be honest we're only talking about two of the subclasses right now for a majority of of the time but you have the College of Swords, which can use inspiration to affect attacks. You can be a medium armor bard with your inspiration and the College of Lore, uh, not the College of Lore, the College of Swords subclass is escaping me for the moment what their sort of inspiration equivalent is. Swords is uh, the DPS. That you had mentioned. I think Valor was the one you were going to. Oh, yes. Valor, the College of Valor can add bonuses to other characters' attacks and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, you have a very, very dynamic support class where you can either move a little bit more into the, the caster land, which I have with Connie, or a little bit more into the subjugation and controlling more of the sort of the the secrets and the sort of the dark places as a college of whispers of jack david del rea so you can look um, oh. i was going to say you can look at two bards and they would be incredibly different and it's the same class mm -hmm. so where uh where do you guys so Dorea's story is is closing. Is close. We didn't do a recap, so I don't need a full recap. But are you are you moving on from her yet, or still playing her? So so she is she is that that adventure has come to a close, um, and she she wound up with her happy happy ending. Um, 
she reconnected with uh, an underground community. She is doing her uh, lounge singer act three nights a week um, and trading in secrets and kind of just enjoying retirement, quote unquote retirement. Um, but that's that's kind of where, where she wound up. She didn't never made it till I was trying to get her to level 14 to get the shadow lore uh, ability. Um, but we just we never we never made it that far. Fair enough. Um, James, where this is maybe a tricky question, but where do you see Connie ending up? Well, I think where would infamously, you like Connie to end up might be a better question. I think infamously you have named. So maybe this might be a nice thing to explain about our campaign because I know when you had Thornton on. You guys talked a little bit about Asterion, but it was more of his own experience playing as a Othorion, not Asterion. Sorry, I've been playing too much Baldur's Gate <laughs> lately. Um, also, very, very similar names with similar backgrounds. No, we don't yes. need to get into that. But um, you talked with him more about his experience as sort of a new DM and the challenges that he faced and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But for the people who are listening who are not familiar with everything that John has been doing for myself and the rest of the players in the party, is he has given recently, very recently, sort of a list of all of our sort of main quests that we're dealing with, more personal quests that deal with our characters, and just sort of like side quests, bonus stuff that we are working on. And very infamously... John, what did you name Connie's personal quest? Just for just for the listeners at home. Connie's personal quest line is called Connie's Cruel Fate. So, I'm not a hundred percent sure what that means. <laughs> he's he's if... not even ten percent sure. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, Connie may not. What where Connie may end up is certainly not something that. I'm very aware of Connie has his own goals. He wants to bring change to prosperous and ultimately maybe one of his more personal sort of silly goals is to rule prosperous, to change the way that things are done there uh, to sort of get rid of the idea of a secret police working behind the scenes to kidnap people and bring them into slavery to take slavery out of prosperous and to make it into the um the golden coast that he knows it can be but short term it's it's really just uh figure out the next step that we need to go on to ensure that well we're currently in a dungeon so his, his short term yeah. goal is yeah short term is there but is figure out what uh, what's going on in this dungeon that we're in. But long-term goal is to bring some real decided change to what I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, John, Ados's biggest and wealthiest city. Well, so... Um, yes. In the... 
in what you guys know of Addos so far, yes. That's very mysterious. I like that. Sorry, like it's not supposed to be too mysterious, but I have started a little bit of work on a second continent um, where I don't know what there will be quite yet in its entirety. So there may yet come a city that is larger and or wealthier. But for now, and, yes. And that was one of the things I talked to you about. I was like, why have we not met anybody who's not from Ados are is there a reason why people do not cross the sea you know is this sort of a continent that hasn't really hit the age of exploration yet you know are we sort of on the tipping point of starting to figure out or maybe there are some powerful people or small little whispers of stuff that exist that are not from the continent that any of the other players or majority of the NPCs we meet are from. But so maybe the, the technology exists, but people who attempt to cross the sea are unsuccessful. So um, people have pretty much stopped trying until something new changes or they find a need or something else happens. So that's something that I've got in my back pocket for another, for a different group perhaps to explore. And and maybe not something you want to give away too much about in, no. a, uh, in a podcast <laughs> no. episode. Not just yet. Um, so reeling it back towards bards, um, we have talked a whole lot about 5e. Um have either of you played a bard or a bar or ugh, gosh, a bard or a bard-like character in any other systems? Jack, why don't you go ahead? I think you have more experience in old systems. So I, I have not. I, I um. I've looked through kind of the bard rules for Pathfinder first edition. I, I haven't, I haven't committed to Pathfinder second edition yet. Um, I did play or I, I, I have played the envoy class in Starfinder. So let me grab the Starfinder rulebook and make sure I'm not lying to everybody, but I don't believe there is a specific bard class in Starfinder. I believe it is the, envoy class um let me that just sounds, look real quick that sounds right the the social smuggler type the han solo if you will so so my envoy is more like ford prefect he's actually uh Ooh. a journalist uh who reviews bars uh <laughs> for a blog so he is an envoy um and he is the uh the celebrity uh, subclass of envoy icon he's the icon oh nice um, that makes sense envoy and so he he works for a a food uh, a travel blog and he he visits and reviews bars for a living that's awesome that's a really cool idea for a bard is his performance is not in his poetry or singing but it's in his writing and people are very interested to know what he has to and say. Star power. 
That is yeah, and that, remember... that was the closest thing to 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 Bard I've played recently. And that again, that's Starfinder, so that's it's not really mm-hmm. um it's the it's the icon uh theme for, for the envoy class. That works though. I remember the Starfinder demo that we did uh at Gen Con in what, twenty seventeen? Um and it was pretty fun. I I would play Starfinder again, he says hesitantly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm torn because I, I just started rereading The Traveler. I, I was listening to a Traveler book on a long drive recently. Um, and so I pulled T5 off the shelf and I started rereading The Traveler 5 rule set. Yeah, um, no, let's play Traveler for sure. So I, I, I like Starfinder. Um, the problem I have with Starfinder is that it is that science fantasy. So it's got, uh, space travel and magic and space. Magic. And I, I, I'm not convinced I like that style of play versus a heart, like alien or traveler, which is just technology and science fiction, like, like pure science fiction. Mm-hmm. So Man, this is turning bit... into a delightful smorgasbord. So, so I just, I just wanted to jump on that real quick. Sort of your previous question, John. I'm not super familiar with Bard outside of Fifth Edition. I never played one in 3.5. Um, despite what people think, Fourth uh, Edition was full of very nice things that I am glad that they brought to fifth, but that's a whole other can of worms that we don't get, need to get into tonight. But I, I saw something earlier because I knew you were bringing me on to talk about bards. And so I sort of was like, well, what's the history of bards in D and D? And one of the things I found was very interesting is that originally uh, not it, well, in advanced Dungeons and Dragons first edition, not in original D and D, but in sort of the more codified official first edition, bards are very difficult to become because of the fact that they basically required ten levels. And I'm looking at the wiki right now. This isn't off the top of my head, but I did look at this earlier. You have to take the first five levels as fighter and then the second five levels as thief, which was the old school rogue. Mm-hmm. And then you had to start studying as a druid. So you start as a fighter and then you switch over to a thief and then you become a druid, which I think is very interesting to sort of conceptualize the bard in modern Dungeons and Dragons as somebody who is somebody who is combat oriented is somebody who has a lot of the features of a rogue then starts working on sort of the more magical side. (laughs) That was, that was was a joke (laughs) as a, as a druid. And I think it's very interesting to sort of see that sort of the original concept of a bard certainly comes from sort of the wandering minstrel who makes his way from town to town singing songs that's sort of the the hero archetype of a bard the the og bard being something that in first edition dungeons and dragons was very very difficult to achieve 
just reading from the wiki, they claim, I'm not sure how true this claim is because they don't cite it, that it was one of the rarest classes that was ever played in Dungeons and Dragons because it had so many requirements to become a bard. And I thought that was very interesting. That is different. I did not know that. And there was a lot of ability scores. You basically needed a plus 15 in everything except for intelligence, which you needed a 12, and a constitution, which you needed a 10. Bards were... What What? What wiki are you looking at? Wikipedia. Okay. Bard for Dungeons and Dragons. I'm looking at the publication history. Sure thing. It was, it was very difficult to become a bard. And I think sort of the complication has been reduced a lot, which I like. There's no race requirements on what you need to be a bard anymore. There's certainly no class requirements. It's just a core class now. But the jack of all trades, you know, the ability to, if you choose to, to be a frontline fighter, like a Valor bard or a College of Swords bard, or to be more like a thief, like Jack did with Del Rea. Or to be more of like a clerical caster, bards now more arcane, uh, that I have gone down with Connie. I like the fact that instead of putting all of these requirements, they basically put you at the start and say like, here's this whole web way of things that you can walk down instead of sort of limiting you to a bunch of strict rules to become a bard. Mm -hmm. Bards make particularly good healers as well. They get what I would argue as the strongest single target healing spell, Power Word Heal, which will take a creature that is still alive from one hit point all the way to its maximum. Now it's a ninth level spell, I believe, but depending on the campaign you know if the gold dragon is getting beat up by the red dragon who's fighting above you in the sky that power word heal does an indefinite amount of single target healing mm -hmm. as long as a creature is alive the healing that they receive from that spell will put them at max hit points which is pretty darn good and it's weird that only bards get it a little bit, yeah. You would think a life cleric would have access to that, but they don't. Life clerics are very strong healers, don't get me wrong, but for single spell, single target healing, nothing beats a bard at 17th level. That's, in my, that's my opinion, at least. I think power word heal is like really, really strong. Mm-hmm. And you could build a, a flighty crossbow bard or a, a stabby bard. Like, they they definitely have the most hybrid ability. Which is funny, because if we look at... Because if you look oh, at kind of not. the lore and Appendix N sources, uh, apart from Fluter Flam in the dark... In, in the Black Cauldron... Name name a bard in 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 Appendix N literature. Are you just talking about Mr. Tumnus? Um, Quoth from Name of the Wind. 
Okay. Yeah, and, and I started thinking about Mercedes Lackey, um, some of her heroines who are musically inclined. Um, she she had a whole three book series, and I forget the book, but the the main character uh, uses a magical fiddle and is a is mostly a bard character. I just I would, more. I just couldn't. I they weren't coming <laughs> to, to mind really quickly. I would say right. Little, there's definitely fewer of them. I would say Littlefinger from Game of Thrones is probably a College of Whispers or a, um, a College of War bard, despite the fact that he's not exactly a good guy tricky i would put him somewhere between college of whispers and a mastermind rogue yeah that makes sense but i definitely like he's very charismatic you know chaos is a ladder you know yeah he's not as stabby as he is connivy he probably he probably is a whispers bard and sort of having a basically i would say almost any character who you think of who is more politically powerful than martially powerful unless they have specific feats that really point them to another class they're probably some flavor of bard um a character who jumps to mind wow i just keep thinking of evil characters uh grimer wormtongue from lord of the rings poisoning king theoden with his whispers and sort of setting him into sort of the state of necrotic stagnation i would say is a college of whispers bard perhaps that's a good point Yeah. yeah i think i think there are more bards in lore than we sort of initially think of um yeah, I would say they definitely don't snap to mind. I think Wesley from Princess Bride is a good candidate for a College of Swords uh, cross with a swashbuckler. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe he's he's very inspiring. He's very charismatic, which is not something rogues are particularly forward with. Um, so the older idea of a rogue gave you more of a like the silver tongue but for fifth edition but but for fifth edition that's not really true anymore no but we try to be like a little system agnostic yeah i i I know i'm sorry i apologize you you are correct though there's yeah there's definitely different different approaches to a bard and (laughs) And the, the one we really haven't hit on, we, we did at the top of the show and, and we did when we teased this this show. Um, but but the and I don't I don't know if it's an age. I'm not trying to be ageist, you know, kids these days. Um, <laughs> get off but, my lawn. <laughs> get off my lawn. But but every every dragon's long enough with, with a diversified group of people, Hold you on. will eventually come upon the seduction bard basically i have a high charisma and i want to bang everybody in this bar um just because i can and i'll make the dm like flirt with himself or or you know we we on my monday night group we we call that ryan flirts with his friends (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's that's one of the reasons why maybe that shouldn't be at the table (laughs) 
Well, that's but that, I mean that that bard that that is that is one of the stereotypical bards. Um, and and again, I I don't know if that's because you know adolescence reaching sexual maturity or experimenting with things um, on the role play table that they won't dare experiment in the real world, or um, if people are just like, oh, high charisma, let's do you know let's do funny things, uh, kind of let's that. Do everybody. Character. Uh, almost, almost like a Malkavian in a vampire game. Those, those guys. That's that's one. You know, there, there, there are certain classes and archetypes across many different systems that always kind of get pigeonholed into that one role. And and I think um, if you're not careful, if if you're not if you're not creative, like we we're talking about creativity, if you're not creative with your bard, you fall into that. You know, I'm the. I'm the hairy chested, swarthy singer man that, you know, everyone wants to hang out with and buy me drinks. Ha ha ha. Uh, and then you kind of, you kind of miss the chance. If you play that kind of bard, if you enjoy that kind of bard, play that kind of bard. Um, if you have that kind of table. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> very, very dismissive. I'm trying not yeah, to be right. judgy, If you have okay? that kind of table, do better. <laughs> yeah. Try, try, try something, but you, you'll miss out on all these other like like James and with Connie in that College of Lore Bard, um, and or Delrea with the Wh Whispers Bard or the Valor Bard or the Swords Bard, the Glamour. I I just read. I hadn't even read the Glamour Bard, um, yeah. with with the Feywild magic, and that's way closer to Druid than than some of the other bards. But mm -hmm. the 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 Bard is so broad and diverse. You can enjoy almost any play style with that one class where other classes and i tend to agree uh paladin you're healing you're tanking cleric you're healing sorcerer you're casting like the the, the bard is kind of special oh you made the you made the cardinal sin that's gonna piss off everybody who plays a cleric is that they get pigeonholed into a healer but but you're you, the you're the not wrong <laughs> the archetypal the archetypal cleric is you know a priest who people come to in times of need for help you know or or a or a rabbi or a spiritual leader of some other kind and the bard it's like we mentioned grimer worm tongue we mentioned um wesley from princess bride which i got a little pushback from john on that because i know john doesn't really love bards and he doesn't want wesley to be he doesn't want Wesley to be classed into something that he doesn't love necessarily. No, but, but he's he's a more traditional rogue. He is a more traditional rogue. I I would agree with that. But you you look at the sort of the examples of who might fit a bard class, sort of like in pop culture, fantasy, and even science fiction and stuff like that, and you get a bunch of characters that don't really look alike at all. And if you were going to look at almost any other class, I would say that their list of fantasy characters that exist are all going to be fairly similar. And that's not bad, but like they're, the way they go about achieving their goals is going to be fairly similar. Mm -hmm. Bard sort of, sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I think it's, it's, easier to role play some of the other classes because the archetypes are so narrow right barbarian conan um, 
Wizard or Fafford, Wizard, Dumbledore, Gandalf. Um, you, you know, you you can you the the pop culture icons for those classes are the archetype for that that specific class. But with with Bard, um, you you have so much flexibility within the class that you really have a lot of leeway, a lot of a lot of freedom. To, to take that character in a direction. So from a from a player perspective, I think the Bard class is really good for creative players who are looking to kind of grow a character instead of kind of that lockstep, I'm a barbarian, you know, I, I take off my shirt, I have a big axe, I grow my hair long, I talk like, honored and i swing my axe right or it's it, it just go thunk <laughs> go thunk head head rolls off um but if if you're the type of player that is looking for a chat and it's not easy right i mean i dalrea was one of the most challenging characters um i've played in a long time just to just because her motivations were so fluid um and and she could go in any number of different directions and it was just it was fun kind of figuring out where she was headed next nice i, I would say probably one of my my major complaints with the bard is you get paralyzed by the sheer amount of choices that you can make when you level up and when you get to sort of these milestone levels when you get your magical secrets when you sort of get the ability to look at the entirety of the D&D class list that you can use, and all of a sudden you're like, do I pick the meta thing? That's like, what is theoretically the best thing I can pick right now? So like, I'm guilty of that. I'm, I'm guilty as sin on that because for Connie, when Connie got his first magical secrets, he took a resurrection spell. He took restoration or uh, revivify uh, rather as I was, um, which made him the only person who could bring people in the party back from death, which I felt was important. And then I took fireball because it's fireball. It's an iconic, <laughs> it's an iconic spell and it's really good. Um, during a major battle in John's campaign, Connie cracked off a fireball and did like a ton of damage just because he hit so many of the bad guys. It's a good spell it's sort of a overplayed spell. And I know we're talking about sort of making unique characters and, well, you know, sometimes you just got to take the fireball. But one of the things that I dislike to a small degree is that there are just so many good choices. And I know for a fact that the next time I take magical secrets, there are a lot of key spells that the party does not have access to that I am going to have to decide whether taking something like counterspell is going to be better than taking something like find greater steed or destructive wave or steel wind strike or various other very 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 strong spells because we need to have sort of those aspects of our party covered and i'm not saying that like oh, the bard is always going to be the person who is carrying the party, but the bard has a unique opportunity of, especially with Magical Secrets, of being the thing 
that the party does not have. Mm -hmm. And I think so, that's very important. So we're coming up to time here for tonight. And uh, if you, uh, either, well, both of you, um, if you had to give advice to a DM, DMing a, a party with a bard, or to a player trying to play a bard, what would it be? Well, I'm going to have to think on that for a second. Yeah, give me give me a moment. No, no problem. Chew on that for a minute while I give our I'll do the little post talk thing here. Um, if you are interested in uh, asking a question to the show or giving us a hello, uh, the easiest way is on Twitter at jamsco to five or at Red Hoodie Games. And if you would like to do any more, you can find us over at Patreon.com/skoda. That's S K O D A. Our guest tonight has been James Kiernan, and I don't know if you want to drop uh, anything there, but you're welcome to. Oh, I, I I don't have anything in particular to to plug, but no um, I mean, you guys, if you guys are listening to this podcast, you're already listening to Red Hoodie Gaming, so keep on listening to Set the Table. Uh, John's put a lot of effort into this, and it's been really a pleasure to work with him sort of behind the scenes and help him out with some things so that this can get off the ground for him. So final piece of advice for a bard. So, I'm going to, here you go. You wanted a minute to think I'll give you 30 seconds more and I'll go first. Cause I'm the, I am not the one who has been playing a bard for months. Um, <laughs> I will say to a DM, DMing a group who has a bard, don't be afraid to rein them in. Bards will try to do lots of weird things with their uh, high degree of adaptability and variability. And so sometimes as the DM, it's okay to be like, you know what, that's a cool idea, not going to work. And that's okay. So I was going to actually say the exact opposite for a DM <laughs> that, that has an imaginative bard. Um, go with it. Uh, if, if a bard, for example, if you have an encounter set up and um, there's going to be this big fight and the bard comes in and uses charm or fear or some other charisma based ability and changes your, um pre-planned combat into something else don't don't be afraid of that oh um, well, no that's i think those are both uh you know same coin different sides but yes that is also tremendous advice and then for the for the bard player um same thing be be creative like use your use that flexibility uh to your advantage and uh don't be afraid if you're going to use hideous laughter or vicious mockery to look up dad jokes because my dungeon master <laughs> my dungeon Sorry. master gives me inspiration if I can make the whole party laugh when I cast one of those. Nice. Uh, That's a good plan. I should So so that. we were we were fighting salamanders and I cast uh, a vicious mockery uh, and it was a mixed gender pair of salamanders. So uh, I said to the lady salamander, hey, did you hear about the salamander who the salamander couple who got a divorce? 
and she looked in the DMs like, okay, so she she lowers her blade for half a second and looks at you. Uh, uh, her husband had erectile dysfunction. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's I I when when I play my bard, that's one of the things I do with, with any of those spells. I make sure I have dad jokes up in Google, uh, and then. Uh, anytime I did a performance, I would mix in an Eartha Kit song uh, or an Aretha Franklin song or one of the other uh, great lounge singer acts uh, and play that through the Discord kind of softly in the background while I was rolling my performance checks. Nice. Very cool. A little extra flavor there. All right, so, James, round us out. So my advice for DMs when you have a bard in the party is always have an alternative plan because things may not go exactly how you foresee them going. I think despite a bard's alignment, their decisions may come off as a little chaotic. And I think it's always important to drop a line to a bard that you have found pushing the narrative about what exactly is going on with X, Y, and Z? I think one of the... And, and actually, this honestly might just be great D&D advice in general. Have, a, have good dialogue with your players. And I think bards are very important because they're a very social class. But in general, have good dialogue with your players and have good dialogue with the face of your party. Mm. So if you have a character who has expertise like a bard has, has like a plus 12 in their persuasion or their deception or their intimidation or what have you, always have a second plan if you're a DM with a bard. If you put a guard in front of a room that doesn't want the party to get in and a bard is the face of the party, always prepare for the fact that what you want as a DM unless you're willing to railroad the party, if you have a bard in your party, you may not get exactly what you thought the outcome was going to be. And it could be good for the party or it could be very bad for the party. And I guess for players, I would say if you want to be the horny bard trope, embrace it. Be that. Because D&D is all about your own personal choice, but just know that there is so much of the world of bards that you can become to be an even greater representation of that class. Tried and true tropes are fun to play in D&D, and there are a lot of tropes that get used in D&D very well that I enjoy quite highly. Don't take a class because you want to play a certain way that maybe the other people at the table might not really like. And I think Horny Bard is one of the things, especially for people who have played D&D for a long time, a lot of people are kind of sick of. It's got a short shelf life. It does. And don't be afraid to let your character develop either. Start as a horny bard and then maybe realize that that kind of life isn't really great. You know, the mayor's wife, no matter how pretty she is, isn't worth having the whole town guard angry at you. Don't be afraid to change and be dynamic 
just as your bard as you level is going to change and become more dynamic. I guess that's I guess that's probably my best piece of advice for bards. That's awesome, dude. Well, that is going to wrap it up. Uh, this has been Set the Table episode 22 with our special guest, James Kiernan, uh, and your usual John and Jack. Um, we'll be back in two weeks for the next show, and until then, take care and have a good night. Thank you, good so day. Much for ha- Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. If you ever want to be back on to maybe talk about the origin of Red Hoodie, I'm totally down for that too. Thank you, John. Thank you, Jack. Mm